you know, we all didn't necessarily get into this to just like only do client work. Graphic designer didn't start drawing at five years old and love that for their entire like childhood to just sit around and go, why didn't you pick me? Why didn't you pick me? Like make something like it doesn't have to be in the industry. That's my argument is like, don't make stuff for the industry. The industry doesn't care. Hi, I'm Joel Pilger, and you're listening to episode 67 of the Rev Thinking Podcast. Today is another in our ongoing Profile of the Creative Entrepreneur series with Dallas Taylor, owner at DeFacto Sound and host of the podcast 20,000 Hertz. Welcome to Rev Thinking, the podcast for creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. This is the conversation between creative leaders and consultants, discussing what it really takes to run a thriving creative business. Hi, it's Joel. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. All you Rev thinkers, all you fabulous creative entrepreneurs out there, wherever you are in the world. Thanks, as always, for all of the cool feedback that I always receive from those of you who reach out and have something to say about what we're sharing here on the podcast. I'm back in Colorado after a brief stint in San Francisco and a short trip to Southern Florida. It's good to be back in the home office. Uh, we Rev Thinkers and consultants are actually spread all over the country, um, even around the world. But it's funny, I'm, I'm back in my home office and I'm looking around. When I walked back into my office, I noticed, oh yeah, my, my office is actually strewn with pitch decks. <laughs> Strangely, there are pitch decks and boards and proposals and all this stuff just strewn all over my office. Now, why is that? It's because last week in Confab, which is this live weekly forum that RevThink hosts for our Jumpstack graduates, we get together every week. And we were processing the question last week of what we called a pitch deck roast. So we, we looked at pitch decks and how we present our ideas. How do we convince others to award us a job? in a pitch, in a competitive situation? How do we propose all of these kinds of questions? And of course, I gave feedback on some pitch decks that people submitted and uh, gave them a good roast and told them how I thought they might improve their game when it comes to how they present their ideas. But these pitch decks remind me of a chapter in my career when I was running my studio that has, let's face it, a a rather dark side to it. And it's what I call the pick me pick me phase of your career where there's, wow, there was so much energy spent in bringing together ideas and concepts often for little or no money. Uh, and we present these ideas and pitch, pitch these ideas to people in hopes that they will pick me, that they will award us the job. And often they don't. And this can be, of course, very demoralizing and very difficult. And everyone struggles with this but very few people talk about it. Well, today on the podcast, we are going to talk about this. So we're going to sit down with Dallas Taylor, who's the owner and founder at DeFacto Sound. He's also the host of 20,000 Hertz. Now, I met Dallas a few years ago in New York at one of our Creative Entrepreneurs events that Tim Thompson and I were were leading. And that event was all about how do you market your firm? How do you position your firm? And Dallas got some really big ideas from us on how to narrow his positioning. He talks about that in the podcast. But he also was in a transition point in his career. He was really struggling with this pick me phase. But he had also, as he told us then, launched a podcast called 20,000 Hertz. And he was asking us, hey, any advice on what I do with this and how I move forward with it? And it's 
been quite the story and journey since we originally met. So you're going to want to listen in carefully as Dallas describes that journey. But with that said, I just want to also offer you a reminder. Uh, if you want to keep up with what RevThink is up to, where we're going, what events we're doing in the world, uh, just go to RevThink.com and check out what is happening there because there definitely are some events uh, coming up. But we're trying to put all of our time here on the podcast into the show itself. So I'm not going to put any time and energy into sharing announcements. This episode with Dallas gets pretty deep. It's pretty long. So I hope you hang in there. But I know you're going to enjoy it because Dallas is quite a generous soul in sharing so much of his story. And these are things that you just don't hear from other owners, especially competitors. So I know you're going to enjoy this, this conversation as we dive into his story and his journey being a creative entrepreneur and running de facto sound and 20,000 Hertz. All right. Well, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dallas. And I encourage you to just keep in mind that if you're in the pick me phase in your studio, in your production company, that there's something beyond the pick me phase. There's more out there for you as you over the years, keep your eyes and ears open and build a way, a path, a journey to creating for yourself, pick yourself and find that you might create something that's very meaningful, not only for yourself, but for others. All right. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dallas. I'm Dallas Taylor, and I am a sound designer for DeFacto Sound that does a bunch of promos and advertising and trailers and all kinds of stuff like that. And I also host a podcast called 20,000 Hertz that's all spelled out without any numbers that you should totally go subscribe to right now. You can pause it. You can go subscribe to it. You can come right back to this. But the thing is, you have to go. If you're listening to me right now, you have to go subscribe to that. And then come back here, and we're going to talk about DeFacto Sound and maybe a little nugget of 20,000 Hertz. I agree. I'm, it's funny because I, there's probably some people listening that are like, oh, that Dal Dallas Taylor. Because in some circles, you probably are a celebrity because since the podcast has taken off, now uh, you have, what is it, over 100,000 people listening? About that, um, at least uh, per episode and stuff. But I don't know. It's weird. Um, in my day job, the, the, the de facto sound, sound side where we're doing, you know, the actual work that, that probably most of the people who are listening to this would be most familiar with, maybe just hearing it in passing. Um, that line of work and, and community is completely different than the 20,000 Hertz like podcasting community. And I love it that way. So a lot of people like only know me and de facto sound. A lot of people only know me and 20,000 Hertz. And there's only a few people that kind of cross both of those barriers. It's a lot of fun with that ha when that happens, but it is kind of nice having like two different worlds that I straddle right. between. So I'm sure there's people like you just mentioned that they know you very well as de facto Yes. And that's that audio and sound design company. And then when they realize they stumble across 20,000 Hertz, they say, oh, wait a minute. That's you. That's your podcast. Oh, my gosh. And then they get all excited. That's happened a couple of times and actually led to uh, work, which has been really interesting. And, and I'm sure we'll get into this. But uh, having this little original piece of content, just like probably a lot of people listening, um, you know, I've done lots of you know, lots of cold emailing to people that I would love to work with. And uh, on occasion, one out of a bunch will will write back and go, you know, OMG, I listened to your podcast. And uh, it always turns into a really solid relationship because um, they already kind of trust uh, the sound judgment and everything. And they go, oh my goodness, de facto looks amazing. And I know you, your voice has been, you know, a millimeter from my ear a lot. 
And so, um, so it's a, it's a fun little thing when the, when those things come together and, and it has actually been the single strongest catalyst in the history of the company for growing the business in a lot of different ways. Well, we're definitely going to get into that because that's a good preview, I think of probably the meat of what we'll get into later, but let's, let's start by giving some, some context and background because you, you run de facto and I always like to start by asking this question, what was the dream? What was the big idea when you back whenever said, I'm going to launch my own creative business? Well, even rewinding before that, uh, I, uh, uh, how I got started uh, was, was just a really weird path into the industry where I just worked at a local news station doing camera stuff, wanted to always get into audio. I was a trumpet player and that's, um, I had some severe performance anxiety that kind of took me out of that. Eventually made my way to LA and as most, as a lot of people do and worked for NBC, Fox, G4. Um, very early on, uh, from that point, got a, uh, applied for a job at the discovery, uh, channel on the East coast and, um, got that. Uh, so very quickly, I was like in a senior level position very quickly. So I, I kind of found myself in a retirement job, like in my mid twenties. Uh, and it was amazing. <laughs> I now, what, was that position at discovery audio related? Yes, it was. So it was a senior sound designer, um, uh, mixer position there at discovery. I adore, Everyone I worked with, especially in the audio department, were still friends and um, I miss them dearly. The worst part about leaving anything is just those people that were so impressionable uh, during a very uh, important time. But I was in my mid-20s. It was amazing. And um, so I loved it. It was an adventure. Uh, had a blast with with all these people. Uh, but a few years later, um, I think it was something, uh, even three years, it wasn't a, a, a lot of time, but you know, in three years you can, you can get pummeled with just a ton of different stuff. And it was amazing. And, you know, I was working on everything and this was a little bit more in the classic discovery, uh, time. Uh, I was right. pre like being what I called, call, right. What I call the, uh, the golden age of the golden discovery. age. Uh, yeah. so it was before, um, you know, it was before the public, everything went public and it was still private and it was, uh, still had this very, this different spirit. Um, and I gotta be careful because I still work for discovery. I love the people that I work with, but it's a different, it's a different company than what it was when, when I was there. And I think everyone would, yes. would know that. Um, yes, and I would agree. I'll back you up on that. We're still going to make their promos sound incredible, but beyond that, you know, it's, it is what it is. That, uh, was really exciting. Uh, but just like anything, when you work on one single thing all the time, no matter how cool it is, it can get pretty boring and, and I, this phenomenon is kind of across the industry. So I have, I have a lot of friends. Now I do all kinds of stuff, games and trailers and blah, 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 blah. But the point being is that when I speak to people who are doing that kind of internal in-house thing, no matter how cool it is, it just gets to be a grind. Like I think, um, you know, people who work on movie trailers, as awesome as that is, when you're doing that day in, day out, it's like kind of just turns into a grind because it's just the same thing similar thing all the time. And so I recognize that pretty early. Uh, even some of my friends in the video game industry, you can, they can work on the coolest games ever, but it turns into a grind. Like the magic goes away and you're doing that thing. And there's like only so, you know, you hit this wall and you have to be comfortable uh, with that. So the thing that I recognized pretty early that I noticed is that I really loved those times where at Discovery, it was like, promos were great. The TV shows were great. But like when someone came in and they're like, we have this really weird thing and we don't even know like where to start with it. And it's totally different than the stuff that you normally do. Let's just start talking about it and figure it out. And so that I got addicted to is just these, like every time like this brand new thing out of left field hit me. Um, I just loved those conversations. Cause it was like, I was part of it. Uh, sound in general has been relegated to like an angry, like ponytail guy and like a dark room that you don't like bother and you don't poke the bear. Um, and, and for a long time, like audiophilism and, and 
audio engineerism uh, was just so like untouchable. It was it was this like elitist gatekeeping community. Sure, you're not the allowed audio to files be are the grouchy. Yeah, don't yeah. don't uh, yeah delicate geniuses. And so I mean this this kind of kept ramping for a while, which kind of led to where I am now. But I just wanted to crush all of that. I wanted producers to know that like they have ability and editors knew like everyone knew that they could you know mess with sound you know they don't need permission to do that and so um, I loved uh, just the conversations where I would come in and in, in creative worlds and say like it's totally cool try something you know try these sound effects or maybe I'll make some things up and you try this and whatnot yeah because what I'm hearing you say is that being forced to tackle a wide variety of challenges on a daily basis. That that wasn't present in your, I, and I love ro- that in your role at Discovery. And that love drove you, I'm guessing, to, hey, how can I do something different every single day? And dot, that's dot, it. Dot, Thank you for filling in away. the blanks there. But that's exactly <laughs> what it was. Is um, I love Discovery, but even like down the street, there was like National Geographic and I loved that network. And I liked, I really, a lot of, a lot of the creatives and producers and people would, would kind of bounce back and forth between the two. But being internal at Discovery, like I couldn't touch na- the National Geographic stuff. Also right, internally, and I think, competitor. yeah, and, and I know that like a lot of people, and they're not a competitor, competitor for me, I just want things to sound great and I want the world yeah. to sound better and I want everything to sound better. Um, so, uh, so one thing led to another, uh, I, I wanted to get on that stuff uh, and also just being internal, you, all the best, you always see the best stuff go out. I mean, it's like in, the internal teams just flip when they actually get something that's like high, high profile for the most part. Uh, not saying that they don't have the talent it, it, because they are some of the most talented people in the industry. It's just the, it's just the uh, machine that keeps them on these just like bread and butter things that just have to get done type of thing. Oh, sure. And so well, there's a lot of people smiling right now because they run, Right. A studio or an agency and they're smiling saying, yeah, yeah, we're, we're the out of house guys. When they need something really cool, they call us. Yeah. And you get and you just get this like experience and you're working with new people and you kind of you're excited and stuff. And, you know, I was always kind of bummed that like a lot of that stuff didn't happen internally, especially with just knowing the talent that we had internally. Uh, but it, but it's a machine. It's, it does its thing. And and when you kind of I saw all the best stuff go out and um and so eventually one thing led to another, you know, I was uh, just like most people, I was kind of double dutying and uh, doing, you know, mixing some shows at home. And uh, while in the daytime I was doing my discovery job, actually it was flipped. I was doing my nighttime discovery job, daytime doing all the other stuff. And then um, one thing led to another and I was like, you know what, I'm going to try to do this. And uh, went out, started kind of picking up things from different places. I uh, had a couple years of it just being pure terror, but the dream at that point, um, so the, the the creative dream was work on a bunch of different things. Just keep getting that fix of just just like being using my brain creatively with sound, not mm-hmm. just being an engineer. Uh, and then the other dream, which very quickly eclipsed even the other one, was just pure and utter survival for the first few years because uh, it was you know there were so many times even within the first five years that that um, very clearly like the, the the business could have gone out of it could have gone out of business and then I'd yeah of course I'd run back and to LA and, and worked it worked out there which I'd be very happy with uh, I have a lot of good friends out there well I mean that's a common story so how many years has it been now 10 we're 10 just years. 10. all right yep well happy anniversary thank you nowadays when when people ask you okay what's de facto what, what are you all about is there a sweet spot is there like what's the wheelhouse what's the specialization yeah. Um, and thanks. And I actually say that um, I'll give you a plug here because I think that when I went to your creative entrepreneur thing, uh, maybe three years ago, four years ago or something, it was right. You know, think about the timing there. It was five. I was yeah. after five years, six years, seven years. There's this magic moment where where I'm like, why am I not clicking on some stuff? And there's a moment where I'm just like, I'll take anything to survive. And then 
And then I think something that you had said was just like focus and like, you, you have a way of saying this that I'm sure is way better, but like there's like reducing your focus actually positions you and like as, as an expert in a thing, like what's your way of saying that? And then I'll, well, I'll continue. Uh, here's my fun little spicy way of saying it, that to grow your business, shrink your positioning. Yes. And that is so scary to actually do. Like, cause oh, you just, yeah. as a, as, as I, you know, I'm not necessarily creative, but like somebody running a creative business, like you just want to take anything. Um, but when I really started focusing on that and right around that time, uh, you know, to give you some practical information, that was exactly the time that I came back from that. And I went, I talked to the team, what are we happy doing? What are we unhappy doing? And, um, you know, most of the things that we found is a lot of times like the stuff that didn't pay too well was also the stuff we weren't happy on. And so we cut all that stuff. The other thing is um, we still do a lot of, we still do like filmmaker favors, especially if I see like some like 22 year old that like came out of college and like he or she is like just put some crazy thing together and they just need a little help to get on kind of a next level. And I see it and I go, oh my goodness, sound design would make a difference. Like I will, I will like foster that relationship to like get someone to the next level. But, um, but we had to be really more like a lot more selective with like the favor projects too. And so that really, we had to start saying no to a lot more things. We stopped doing television uh, reality shows entirely. Uh, up until that point, there's a lot of like, you know, 30 minute hour-long reality shows. We just realized we just don't watch them. We don't consume them. It's, um, it was something that just like emotionally and the emotional investment wasn't there. Now on the promo side, we still love doing that because we just love the craft of creating something really short. Um, you know, very, uh, sonic and all that stuff. But like on the actual TV shot side, um, it was just a drag. And if you think about the economics of TV, you get, Uh, Your content basically needs to be as cheap as possible and your advertising needs to command the highest rate. And so I just wanted to position the business where we were on the side that commanded the highest rate. That's all, that's the marketing department and the networks and that's the, that's advertising agencies and, and things of, of that sort. I've just never had money problems on that side for the most part, but on the, on the actual making content side, it's always like, can you do it cheaper? Can you do it cheaper? Can you work overnight? Can you work weekends? And it was like, no, I can't do that anymore. So yeah, that, it, that trend has been going in a really unfortunate direction for the better part of a decade. And yeah. if that's where your business is based, you're, you're bound to be struggling. It's just unfortunate reality that you got to escape that somehow. Now, diversity in, in the workload and the clients and the type of things that you do is really important. But that, so it is scary dropping that sort of thing. But if you think about that, it's like ultra time consuming and it's always panic mode. And it was just, it was just kind of a poison in the company. Like no one, it, it wasn't something that just came at nine o'clock and we did it and we were done by the end of the day or the next day. It was something that was like, it was all, every single show was panic. Every single show was like, we'll have it to you by this point. It would come six hours later. Can you work overnight with no type of, uh, with nothing, no, with nothing, like no uh, right. heads up or whatnot. And also and at no, the same and time, no rush fees and no, no extra compensation no, of either. Not. Yeah, of course um, not. But that, at the same time, creepy. we started doing YouTube videos for, for collaborators. And, you know, we were doing six, six to eight minute long YouTube videos for all these different places. And we were making more money than the, than the you know, network 22 minute show. And it was like, why would we, why would I kill myself over here when I really love this YouTube content and from a really reputable business and it's, you know, less, and it's a third the length and we make more money for it and we enjoy it. And so it's just like, it was a no brainer. So the company has really positioned itself as being short content. So sub 10 10 minutes, uh, we do a lot of like sub 10 minute, um, documentary stuff, uh, style stuff. And then a lot of like trailers, promos, advertising, that sort of thing. And then the other positioning aspect was in our creative. Um, 
I don't think personally that sound mixing or post-production audio is something that is marketable in any sense to a creative. Like, hey, I do post-production audio. Like, how excited do you get for that? Not excited Mm, at all. (laughs) It's kind of boring. It's like, oh, I'll level your stuff. I'll make the dialogue cleaner. It's like, that's like base level sound stuff. Like, yes, I could mix a thing in my sleep and make it sound good. We do tons of bread and butter uh, and we love doing it. Like tons of bread and butter of just straight up mixing things. Tons of our clients do that. That's how we, how we survive. But the positioning, everything external uh, was highly focused on sound design, like brain power, creative energy, uh, having big creative conversations, crafting things. And so if you see anything on our website or anything that's put publicly, it has been toiled over to make sure that like it has a creative sound, a high creative sound element. Uh, Because that's the thing that like producers get excited about and writers get excited about and editors get excited about. So like the positioning really got down to us like we're a very intimate design sonic design company um, to sound pretentious about it. Um, and so that's really what kind of like grew everything. And, and I also kind of got frustrated with like seeing kind of competitors or, or other sound places or just anybody in this industry. Work speaks for itself. Words don't. And so even if you kind of look at our website, like we don't really have many words, uh, but I, but like anything you click, like within 10 seconds, you should be like, oh my goodness, that sound design is pretty slick. So, so yeah, it's no, kind of like, I see a few, a few, a few select words, but you're right. They are quite concise Yeah, because I see de facto sound is an award-winning sound design studio. And then you say we serve networks, brands, films, and games. But here's what I love. Now, this Joel, little... are you going to, are you going to critique me on that? Because I know that we need to talk <laughs> well, about that. I could, I could, I could do a roast right here. Right I know now, you but could no, on that. It's. <laughs> No, it's really good. What I love actually is this next sentence that says we specialize in fresh, relevant, story-focused sound for all things visual. It's amazing how in that one statement, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Story-focused sound for all things visual? Hmm. You know, you've got me curious yeah. there. But to your to your point, right, That just that pure post-production sound and mixing to a buyer, that's really a commodity service. Yeah. And I know that's painful for some people to hear, but yeah, there's no way you can lead with that and get people interested and excited about you solving their really big, scary, read expensive problems. It's an extraordinarily nuanced skill. Uh, some mixers are, uh, you know, it's basically sound design and mix. Some mixers are incredible, and I know lots of incredible mixers. Some sound designers are incredible, but not great mixers. Uh, I think the two kind of go hand in hand. Uh, but mixing by itself is so nuanced to the point where the casual, even high creative has a hard time distinguishing a, a good, a great mix from a pretty good mix. So it's just something yep. that's, it's not tangible, but, uh, but with, with us like spending everything we don't do music, that's another thing I'll say again, cutting out these things that like, we don't love doing, I love working with all kinds of other composers and libraries and all that stuff to craft things. But it's like all hyper-focused on sound design. Now we do some like, like musical sound design when, when called upon, but it's under very strict circumstances that's, that you kind of look at it and go, that's, that's all sound design. Um, so yeah, really positioning like creative stuff. Cause anyone can look at it like a sound design thing and go, Oh, I get that. Like the sound effects are awesome. Like my, my six-year-old daughter can listen to something and go, Oh, those booms are cool. Like, so it's just very like tangible to like hear something and go, Oh, the sound is having an impact here. And so we focused everything. Like I wanted everything to be focused on, on that positioning. And so, you know, I've also spent, um, I, I've, I've been really careful about the branding, you know, even though we're a sound company, it's very, uh, important that the visual aspect of, of how I brand the company is important. If you notice, like even our, so I'll give you kind of a, a look into that. Um, the colors 
are pink and purple very intentionally to fight against mm-hmm. that that angry ponytailed audio guy in a dark room uh, mentality. So I, I remember okay. when we went through through branding, branding, I was like, I want feminine colors. I want the complete opposite of what everything else is. I don't want a black, you know, website with, you know, whatever. Um, but there is ge- uh, geometric and uh, geometric grid on the on the logo. That's kind of a shout out to like um, uh, video games and things like that. Uh, and, uh, and, and the logo is actually a ribbon. And so when I, uh, was getting the branding done, the branding person was like, so what do you do? Uh, tell me what you do. And I'm like, we do post-production audio for blah, blah, blah. He's like, stop. That's, that's boring. Like, what do you actually do for another human? But don't tell me what you actually do like as services. And I was like, okay. Uh, so we basically like, there's this world that's presented to someone on a screen. And what we do is we kind of like wrap around them and draw them in. And he was like, got it. And so uh, almost no one knows this, but our, but our, our uh, logo is a ribbon that's, that's supposed to be pulling you in. It's flat, but like it's an actual ribbon that's like drawing you into a, a source. And Dude, uh, I love that story. Yeah. <laughs> so it's you so just, subtle. You just encapsulated, yeah, you just encapsulated this sort of positioning exercise in a totally different way where, yeah, you, if you can't tell your positioning to somebody in a way that is actually relevant on a human being level, then what are we doing? Because you're right. Just listing off these services. We do this, this, this for those kinds of people. And you said this was a designer, I think, or a branding person. I'll give a shout out. It's mast, M-A-S-T dot C-O. Just fantastic. Uh, Travis was, I think, the lead designer on that. And uh, they just do beautiful work. And, And the thing is, is when we were talking about it, they were just like, in everything you do, you just have to have a story and, uh, and nothing is more important than, than even your visual brand. And so when it comes up, like you want to have a story behind it, it's not just a cool icon. And there's also, it's, it's kind of corny, but right in the middle, there's a play button. It's something that I don't see when I look at it, but if you look at it, you go, oh, there's a play button. And so it's oh, like, yeah. it's kind of bouncing between a bunch of different things, none of which are enough, enough to grasp onto like what it is, but like everything about that logo, the colors on our site, the font on our site, like everything is mission driven. And like between that 20,000 Hertz, the podcast and like what I try to like talk publicly about, like it is this like trifecta of just this singular focus of mission of making the world sound better and getting people in tune with their hearing. Well, you're, you're giving me some killer ammo for probably my most favorite, which really means most hated myth in our industry for owners that run studios and production companies. And the myth is it's all about the work. And of course, yes, the work has to be great. It has to be fantastic. It has to be exceptional. But if that's what it's all about, then you don't even need a logo. You don't even need a name. You don't need positioning language. You don't need font and typography. But you see my point? I'll admit this. Clearly. So this might be fun. This will be fun because I have not heard your rant on this. I've heard you rant. I've heard your rants. Rant is the wrong word to say it, but it's kind of fun. We're doing a podcast. I know. So I'm going to say rant. rant. Yeah. Um, I've heard your rants on a lot of things, uh, but I have not heard this particular rant. So this is very fresh rant from me. Um, so we'll see where we're aligned and then you can, you can uh, reprimand me if I'm, if, kind of, if I'm going off the rails here. No, um, go. Yes. It's all about the work. Uh, whew, yeah, sort of. Um, you have to have the work. You, you have to put in all the work when the opportunity comes, the work has to be there and it has to be great. Like you can't just go like wait for the time where the thing comes and goes, Oh, I'll put my reel together. Oh, you want to see this? Oh, wait a second. I'll put that stuff. So yes, like the work has to be present and ready. You got to put in all the work. You gotta be incredible. You got to put, you know, curate everything. You got to do everything. But like when the time, the times come and go so quickly that there's so much more that I have to do. Like 
I, I travel a good bit to meet people that fascinate me. Um, I do the face-to-face with, with those people because I wanted to establish relationships. Uh, I make a, a piece of content for a million reasons, but um, it's just so multidimensional. Like it's a really like, like flat plane of thinking. Uh, but the, really that's step one. Uh, we should be able to do incredible work as step one, but there's another 500 steps beyond that. And interdimensional human connection uh, that is undefi- that is very difficult. It's also very difficult as a creator to get unchained from your, uh, from your workstation, but you have to because it's just really hard to get work if you're not making relationships. Because a lot of getting work is so much more based off of trust than simple work. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, there's a, yeah, there's like a whole other set of myths that I, we could dive into there. But just, just to briefly dignify what you're saying, yeah, there's a whole set of practices and habits and so forth. Like you said, travel, building trust, sharing your expertise, having a passion and a why that you communicate with people. And you even said something in a second ago, and that is you said you enjoy really fascinating people. And I thought, God, that reminds me of that, that famous quote, if you want to be interesting, be interested. Yeah. (laughs) That idea of if you want to be an interesting person, you've got to be interested in other people. And that's what I'm hearing you say, and again, this all goes together, but clearly if it was just about the work, you would be able to throw up a bunch of audio files on something that's not even really a website and people would hear it and just, wow, that's so amazing. Let's call these people and let's hand them millions of dollars and do But how do they get amazing, there? That's work. the problem. There's so much yeah. noise uh, that you have, there, there's this fight just to, and it's daunting. And the fact is, is like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, it's a minor, minor, minor point. I mean, it's fun to post stuff there, but I don't think I ever remember a time. We have a rate request form. We have a lot of data now over the years of where people come from to where I know like where to focus efforts. And I'll tell you, I mean, occasionally there's like, oh, I saw your reel on Instagram. That's pretty cool. Um, But I'm telling you all the like high end production company ad agencies, all those people that none of them are coming through Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. Uh, They don't care to follow. They don't want to hear all that noise uh, when they're out of their job. And so all the highest end projects come from different places. Not to say that like a lot of people on those three platforms um, are up and comers that, uh, that have found out about us and then, and then kind of turned into another level of creator and then take us along for that journey. Uh, but, um, you know, it's good to kind of post that stuff out, but like that's not your marketing campaign at all. Right. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me push you further. Why do you think that is? If you're a big buyer, say you're a creative director at a big time ad agency, why aren't you going to essentially buy or make your buying decision through a post you see on Facebook or Instagram? Um, now, don't get me wrong. A lot of people do actually follow Vimeo and Vimeo credits do get us some, get us a lot of work. I just think there's this, and I'm sure that other people have, have said this much more eloquently, but there's this just uh, unhealthy, nasty thing about, about social uh, that is just this like, uh, envy constantly, like just being on it just makes me feel kind of sick. I still regularly post to it. All of our important things get posted there. Uh, but I'm hyper aware of just the, like the, the thing that it, it like hurts people too. Like, I just know a lot of people that are just like, Oh, I'm just not as good as them because I don't have this real. And I just feel like crap, but mm-hmm. I'll keep consuming it. And I just know my personal life, like social has just been a very negative force in my life. I use it you know, I have my team really kind of like post and kind of curate the thing. So I don't like try to get too detailed on it. It's just a place that if someone does, for me, it's more like, you know, if so-and-so from some mega agency is like, um, 
oh, de facto sound. I've never heard of them. That looks cool. I'll Google them. So I Google them. Oh, oh, their website looks really cool. Oh, the next thing is like, oh, Instagram. Let me check what they do on Instagram. Boom. Oh, they have like 5,000 followers. They must be popular as a sound design company. Oh, let me check the, <laughs> check the first thing. Oh, that sounds really cool. Oh, okay. They must be like legit and I trust them. That's the line of thought. It's really just like a reinforcement of trust if someone Googles, Googles the company. Um, I love that. that. And let's, let's highlight that for a second because you just said it. Reinforcement of trust. So it's a necessary thing. It's a little bit like you, you have to have a business card. Like when yeah. you meet somebody, okay, I met them. I made an introduction. And then when they say, oh, can I get your card? If you say, oh, I don't have one or it's at the printer <laughs> or whatever. Joel. You're like, really? Joel, so same I, don't thing. Have, I don't have a business card. <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's <laughs> I love that about you, actually. Uh, no, but I'm, you, you get the, the point I'm making, though, is simply that if you have a website, then yes, there should be some sort of social media presence that shows you do have followers. You are putting great work out there. But the, the other analogy I use sometimes is, you know, let's say, God forbid, someone listening, your son or your daughter is really ill and you need the world expert to cure this certain disease. Yeah. I don't think you're going to stumble across either an ad or a mention on social media and then see this doctor's website about, look how great our procedures are, and then make a $100,000 decision. Yeah on which something really important in your life matters. It's just not how it goes. And I think what happens too is when you're selling, doing transactions that are $100 and $1,000 at a time, sure, social media is sort of an appropriate way or Google search, that kind of thing. But when you get up into 50 and 100 and $500,000 transactions, it, the game totally shifts and nobody buys that size of a transaction through social media. So I no. think it's a necessary evil, but... It's not the means to that end. And that's exactly what everything about the website and really even the social is all geared toward. toward. Social is purely just to, just to be a reinforcement of what they saw on the website. Because if I'm, again, a lot of people, uh, I have to, we all have to remember, like when somebody's coming to you, especially a new collaborator, and we get this uh, sim, uh, every other day, at least, like a new collaborator that's, that's reaching out is really, really fortunate at this point. Uh, for multiple reasons that I hope that would we definitely need to get into with the podcast and how that's benefited de facto. But yeah, it's uh, it, it's just all geared toward that thing um, because a lot of people's jobs are on the line and they feel that uh, when they reach out to us, th it is scary for that person. Sure, they'll be like, I'm so-and-so with some mega agency and I'm looking for an inquiry and blah, 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 blah. And that's like the pretend. But on the right, back end, like cool. on the back end, like they, they're like kind of worried because like they're the one tasked with, put it, with putting this new team together. And if their creatives are like, this was a disaster, like that's bad. So I understand, even if I see that serious email and we're some, you know, mega agency, blah, 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 blah. Like I understand the fear behind that. Like I've done this mm -hmm. long enough to know that like that person's at putting their own reputation on the line to try to like sell us to a team. And so um, very quickly, I want to, I want to, I want to like, I, I want to just give them like a piece about it. So, so number one is, uh, if, if we can get someone to just take one step and reach out, like everything else I think is going to work great. If they reach, if they reach one step, then what they're going to get, uh, they're going to go from this highly curated kind of highly cool, like visceral, uh, emotional experience that you get that we, that, you know, branding has designed across the boards, uh, on the, on the internet. 
which can be a little intimidating. That's a very fine line between like looking really slick and awesome and being too intimidating for people to reach out. I get a lot of people saying that like, oh, I was going to reach out with this project, but like, I just figured you probably wouldn't have time. Oh my goodness, please don't. Like that's, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I need to make a living. (laughs) But you don't want to be inaccessible. You're so exclusive and so elite. You go one step in and you're going to get a like pummel of like information, kindness, you know, happy smileys, like, you know, Mm -hmm. we're helpfulness. Every time someone reaches out, it is like the most flattering thing in the entire universe. Like, oh my goodness, you found us somewhere or someone told you about us. You went to the website, like you think we're good enough. Oh my goodness, this is amazing. No matter what it is, if it's a straight, you know, simple mix for a simple little documentary all the way up to like a, you know, mega HBO trailer or something. It's just like, it's always flattering. Even if someone comes back, it's flattering. It's like, oh my goodness, you must've liked the last thing because you're back. And so, um, so the kindest thing you can do to someone who you like, whose work you like is reach out to them, even if it doesn't work out, but it's just such a kind thing to do. And, um, we love it. So, Mm. yeah. Well, I love, I love hearing that gratitude in your voice because that's really refreshing, right? That you're not, you're not really taking it for granted and there's not an entitlement attitude there. But that actually, I think is a, you, you said something a second ago that I thought would be a really great transition so that we can start talking about this crazy podcast that you have. Which I'll say, don't go away. All you people who are super interested in the de facto sound side or like just the promo world, <laughs> which I know this is, this audience is very promo-y, promo-y. Why am I going to listen to the podcast thing? Well, I'll give you a teaser right now. And if Joel had mid-rolls, this would be the perfect place to put the mid-roll right after it. Um, exactly. So, uh, so this piece of original content changed everything for de facto sound. Now, you should go to stamps.com slash 20K to do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, here's my segue. I'm, I'm remembering a conversation that you and I had a few weeks ago, and you said something that really sort of riveted me, and I, and I actually jotted it down. You said, you know, Joel, I spent half of my life waiting on others to pick me so I could go create what they want. And I, yeah. I could so relate and, and, it, and it almost, I think, uh, belies some of the frustrations of as amazing as de facto is and as great as it is and all, all as successful as it has been, it's also not easy. And yeah. this, I think, is, is maybe the, the entree into what are the frustrations in running a studio like de facto that sometimes oh get goodness. the better of you? And I think that maybe you can talk about how that started to be the genesis of the, this podcast. Yeah. Even hearing you say that hits me in a very emotional place. Like I hear, mm. I feel like emotions welling up of like, pick me, pick me, pick me. Cause so many people go through that. And it's, it's, it makes me just, um, it's the worst part of the entire thing. Like you're sitting back and you're just like, why am I not good enough? Like you're trying to analyze these things. You never get any answers. Like no one's going to tell you why you didn't get picked or why you lost this bid or whatever. It's just, it's just terrible. Like it's terrible for your soul. It's terrible for your brain. And I have so many friends and colleagues and collaborators that, you know, are in dark places because of this. And I'm certain hundred percent, a lot of people who are hearing this right now are in dark places, even though you may not say that. Um, doing this sort of thing is very, very difficult emotionally. And what you have to do as an artist is per, and a creator is to pretend like it's not. And it is, mm. and it sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Especially as a business owner, yeah. you have, you know, I, I often say, as a creative entrepreneur, you don't really have the luxury of being a pessimist, but you know what? Sometimes you want to be a pessimist because you don't get picked. Yeah. You know, you lose the pitch, whatever the job goes away, the deal dies and you're like, Oh, it's soul crushing. So yeah. Um, 
over time, I mean, again, there, it's a multi-pronged uh, reason why the kind of podcast came came to be. It's a, it's a medium that I enjoy. Uh, I always wanted to talk about sound more. I was curious, like you mentioned before, like I'm just curious about all these different aspects. When you're in your own zone, you... Uh, you really kind of like surround yourself into this, like this creative, like echo chamber. Um, I see this a lot on Instagram. It's like this very like insular echo chamber where everyone thinks like, oh, this is the real world. And it's not at all. So even with sound, um, you know, I've kind of broken out of like the sound audio post-production. Like I would never say that we like do audio post-production. I just think it's a lame term. Um, but you kind of pull out of that and zoom out. Um, you know, even sound design, which is so interesting. Video games, like some of the most groundbreaking work is happening in video games. So I got really interested in that. And then eventually it's like I pulled further back and I was like, all the, you know, sound is supersedes, like the things you can do creatively in sound, um, even the media, you know, the video industry is just such a small slither of that. So over time, I just wanted to kind of like explore that and tell stories and then hopefully getting a, gaining a bigger perspective that would zoom back in to, um, the, the actual, uh, what we, what we do really well. Uh, so like the more I know, the more focused it becomes. Um, but also with that, I wanted, you know, the dream was with 20,000 Hertz was, I want to tell really high quality stories that if, if, if someone actually heard it in, you know, in the industry, they would go, whoa, that's like really good content. It's not geared toward the industry at all. Like, I don't care at all about like what the industry thinks about it one way or the other, because I'm not sp- talking to the industry. Like, I want to tell these stories to the rest of the world. I want to tell these stories to like my grandmother and like my daughters and like, you, I, everyone has to explain what they do all the time. And I wanted to tell like a giant body of stories that just kind of encapsulates the, the like mystery, the wonder, the excitement of like the, the sense of hearing. Which well, let me interject there real quick because to anyone listening, who's going, wait, what, what are you talking about? So the podcast, which is called 20,000 Hertz, the little log line description is the stories behind the world's most recognizable and interesting sounds. So the point that you're making is, it's not a podcast about running an audio post-production facility or anything like yes. that. It's yeah. completely different. Okay. Sorry. And that I just relates to, to pick that. me. That relates to pick me, pick me. Uh, because I think that in a lot of cases, uh, when we're in the industry, um, you have to, if you're going to make a piece of original content, like the reason that I did it is I wanted to have control over something in my life, like some sort of creative thing that I could, I could just craft and be the end of. And I didn't have a, a te- like a, like another layer kind of telling me what to do. I don't mind the other layer of people telling us, you know, giving us, I love collaboration with, with people. I love like bouncing things back and forth, but if there's something about, you know, we all didn't necessarily get into this to just like only do client work. Uh, mm-hmm. like, you know, you didn't start, you know, a graphic designer didn't start drawing at five years old and love that for their entire like childhood to turn into, you know, to, to do that, to just sit around and go, why didn't you pick me? Why didn't you pick me? Like make something like it doesn't have to be in the industry. And honestly, that's my argument is like, don't make stuff for the industry. The industry doesn't care. Um, the industry doesn't care about you. Uh, you're not really going to like get uh, like maybe doing a graphic design con- podcast or something like it's just going to like preach to a bunch of other people that like just want to kind of compete with you. Um, but there's this wide world of billions of people out there that could be blown away by a piece of content. So you can, you can, you can talk to, you know, a a small group of people in this very insular bubble Mm. or make something for the rest of the world and basically compete with the people, well, not compete, but like compete on a general level. And, um, and I'll say that like competing, making something for a general public 
all of the collaborators that I work with and some of the, and the new ones that come in recognize that as another X factor is like, you're not mm. just doing our sound design, but like you're making things for, for normal people just like we are. So I can communicate on that level. So, I mean, again, there's like a million different angles from this and these are only a few so far. Well, I, it's funny. You were stirring up some emotion in, in me just then because this past week I was at, at SCAD in Savannah and speaking to students and Everyone there, of course, when I say, who wants to start a business someday? Most of the hands go up, right? This is, this is like the, the path or the doom of creatives yeah. that we, we want to do our own thing. And what I told them was, that's great because the world needs you, right? The world needs you. And here's the thing. The creative entrepreneur has an enormous advantage over just a creative AKA someone who has a job, an employee, because we have this incredible power to run a business and leverage it to create something that is awesome, something that's amazing. And I'm thinking now, when you and I talked just a few weeks ago, the second half of the quote that I jotted down that you said was you said, and Joel, then one day I woke up and decided to create for myself. So it was like you picked you. Yeah. Was that the moment when you said, yeah, I'm just going to go do this. And like, it's not going to be for clients. It's not for the industry. It's just something that it's meaningful to me. And maybe it'll be meaningful to a bunch of other people. Exactly. Uh, I mean, that's the thing is just, oh God, like you get so wrapped up in your world. Uh, you know, it's like you're in, when you're in high school. It's like, sure, you might have like a couple high school friends, but then you make a lot of friends in college because you all come to and, and have a singular focus, like a singular mm-hmm. umbrella that you've all, you're all interested in from all over the place and you have similar backgrounds. You make these really dear friends in college. You move further past that. Um, you go into the industry, which is even more like focused and everyone had a hard path into that. Then, you know, I, I get to the Discovery Channel. Like everyone's like so hyper-focused, really close friends. Um, then you kind of like go out into the world and um, I don't know, it's just like, you, even with these insular mo- like places, you're like, are we the only ones that care about this? Surely there's other people who care about this. And it is, it's scary um, because the world generally does not care about sound and hearing. And uh, I'm sitting here for my entire career going like, this is fascinating on every level, like architecturally, um, you know, what we do in the industry, of course, um, uh, psychologically, like, you know, stress and anxiety is, is lots of stuff caused by noise. There's so many angles of sound that like for all, for all intents and purposes, like no one's talking about. And I don't see the information anywhere. Or if it is, it's just a spattering of like um, research papers from like, you know, uh, audiologists and doctors and stuff. But these things are not things that like um, are only for audiophiles or doctors or whatever. It's like it can, it can, you know, when I wanted to make things that like could, people could, could see the world in a new way by listening to it. Or like you could, you could recognize things in your own environment that could be stressors or things that make you happy just by hearing them, but you're unconscious to it. So I wanted to kind of like take the veil off of this thing. Um, but then I also, from a business standpoint, uh, I wanted the pot, I wanted to make something that like generated its own revenue to where it would become our biggest client. And over time mm-hmm. that happened. And so it's not, it doesn't, it's not a big money generate. We spend a ton of time into it. So don't get me wrong. If we're looking hour by ha- hour, it's like, Ooh, okay. That's a, that's a hefty thing. But 
with that, um, it is the biggest revenue generator. It is something that we have control over. It is something I personally sell ads over. We're not on a network or anything. There's no bosses in this. And mm-hmm. I've, I've strategically done that. Like almost every major podcasting network has offered to bring this, this podcast onto their network. Very respectable ones. But it's like, I don't, I don't want a boss. Like if it was like the perfect one, I would, I would consider it. But like, I just don't want another boss. The whole point of this is to be our thing. Like the sound designer's thing. Like we have a voice to the world. And, um, and then so with the business, we wanted to be that we wanted to, uh, I wanted it to be kind of our own thing. Again, when you have a bunch of creatives in a, in a place, you have ups and downs times where you're super slammed and you're having to work nights and weekends times where you're dead and you're just want, and you're just trying to get people busy. Now that dead time, the last thing I want to do when, when we're, when we're like totally dead, like I'm panicking cause I'm trying to get work. And I know you know this, I don't have time to like give busy work. And pointless work. Like I want a thing that's self-generated. The second some big client thing gets off, like everyone knows the next two podcasts they're going to work on. So I can go hustle. I can go do my thing. I can go chat with people. Uh, but the, but we have this thing that's going out to 100,000 people every two weeks that that is massive. And then not even getting into, when you talk to that large of a, of a of even talking to 10,000 people, like when you start to talk to that scale of people, opportunities from everywhere start to fall from the sky that you could like never guess. Yes, this is this is the moment when you realize I call them strategic byproducts because it wasn't really your goal from the outset of I'm going to create this thing. So all of these random connections and random people reach out to us to start random conversations like that's not really (laughs) a, a business goal of why you started the podcast, but it is a byproduct. It's something that's that's happened as the audience has grown and I think it's it's a great example of you you had one goal and in accomplishing that one goal, all of these other really interesting opportunities are arising out of it. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's mind blowing. Um, and even to rewind a bit and kind of at least encourage other people to make original stuff. Um, a lot of people in the industry have a really hard time going, well, what do I make? Like, you know, I'm, a, I'm an editor or like I'm a graphic designer. Like, what do I do? Like, I've been doing, you know, network work forever. Like, what do I do with that? Um, there's so much. We all have passions. Like I'm super into space. So if I find like an excuse to like talk about space on the podcast, I do it. Like I, at night when I'm browsing Reddit, I look at r slash space and I learn all the new space news. If you're like a graphic designer and there's a thing that you're just into, you, you could even like political commentary and stuff. You don't even have to like, you can write comics. You can write like little things. You can put little, make memes, uh, editors, shooters, people who do that sort of thing. Um, I, I have, I watch like my consumption of media is about, is like 90% YouTube now. And I think that, you know, as creators, like we like to thumb our nose at like YouTube. Um, but I mean, if you haven't figured this out yet, like just by looking at the numbers, YouTube is, is eclipsing like network television or, or net, sometimes network, sometimes, and most, most of the time cable television. Um, it's a machine that's get, getting cable television this far. And I hope that it still kind of does its thing if they modify it uh, properly. But YouTube, like there's some of the best cooking shows, like the best lifestyle shows, like the best interview shows like are happening on YouTube and they're simple. And it's because of people who are really good at a thing. And then they, then they tell that story to the rest of the world. So if you, mm-hmm. you know, if you, I think that people get too, again, in that echo chamber, like, well, my Instagram club, like how do I impress them? Who gives a crap? Like they're not going to care when it comes out don't make something for them. Like make something for like the rest of the world. If there's a thing that you love and you're like, God, oh, I'm really into this, 
you know, the wonderment of space. Like, Mel- uh, for example, like Melody Sheep is this composer person who who made a YouTube channel called Melody Sheep. And it's like the most wondrous space stuff I've ever seen. And But it's very sonic heavy, very music heavy. And and it's like it, this person had a very a love for their craft, but then they also had a love for something that was completely in, in you know, pop culture. And then they put the two together. And that's what I did. What? Even mine's like more, even, even more self-serving because it's about sound. I heard this beautiful quote uh, from Philippe Carvalho. He's a art director, filmmaker, title designer. He was speaking at Geneva at this conference I was at. And he said, do work that's meaningful to you because chances are it will be meaningful to someone else. And I think when I look at the first five episodes of 20,000 Hertz, I see the voice of Siri. The NBC chimes, you know, 8-bit sounds, mystery hum, the sound of extinction. And I think this is all just stuff that is so cool that I'm guessing you, it was just meaningful to you. And you said, I want to talk about this stuff. I want to have a conversation with, you know, myself and others in the world about these really cool things. And guess what? It just so happened it was really meaningful to a lot of other people. But, you know, now, now here's the difference. The difference. And I think this is where... I really want to celebrate you and, and the success of this is imagine if someone out there who just random person who has a job and says, I want to do something different with my life. They say, I'm going to go start a podcast. Think about how difficult, nearly impossible it would be for them, even if they had this great idea, which they wouldn't <laughs> to be, to be honest. But what I love about this was you took something that you already have. It's in a business. Now, granted, it's mostly work for hire. It's hand to mouth. I mean, this is part of what it means to have a creative business doing project-based work and selling services. But you were able to take, take it and leverage it to create something new that's really meaningful to you. And I can see how now it's almost as important, big, whatever, as the company as de facto. And that's, yeah. I think this is such a beautiful uh, story and example of how creative business owners can start leveraging and converting what they have to create an asset that didn't, didn't exist. I mean, this came out of thin air over these past few years. It's all, you know, the thing is, it's so corny to say this. And I think that understanding this word is, it really kind of breaks to a new level is that authenticity thing. It's so lame to say like, we want this to be authentic, but like the world wants things that are authentic. That's why like someone can point a phone at something silly happening on the street and someone falls down and bumps their, you know, does something stupid. And like it, mm-hmm. it gets a million, millions of views because it's like a real thing. It's authentic. It's from someone's heart. Um, if you're overly promotional or like overly like, uh, clear about like, I want work for de facto sound. I don't talk about de facto sound. I give one thing at the end that just says it's produced out of the studios of de facto sound. Go check it out. Nothing right. in the content. I, I don't talk about myself. I think there's probably, probably 98% of the, 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 the people who listen to it don't really think, know I'm a sound designer or really even kind of gets what that is. Cause I don't talk about myself. I don't, we, the team doesn't talk about it. We just, we just present information and then see what happens well, that, out of that. That's huge. I mean, huge respect for that to you because I would dare say 99% of every other business owner out there. If I said, Hey, you can go create this thing that might have a hundred thousand listeners every month. They're sure as hell going to run an ad for their business on that thing. And the fact that you don't, I think really speaks to your heart and your why and, and it's beautiful. So, so props, props to you on that. But I think you understand that would be a short 
maybe a short-term win and a long-term total fail. Exactly. Um, and, you know, the people who really respond to that, um, it's like another level of like, I don't know, when you're not, when you're like begging and stuff like that, you know, I've been in the, you know, the multiple, you know, many like New York City conference rooms, like, like, look at all our stuff, pick me, do all that stuff. Um, but the thing that's been most, most effective, it's weird. Like we've gotten, we, we work on with so many net networks, but you know, just to name a few things that, that like have come directly from the podcast is I think that like, I think practically hearing like what dropped out of the sky is really helpful to hear too. Not to say that like everyone mm. that does this is going to drop from the sky. I'm trying to point, the point that I'm trying to make is make something that you love, that a topic that you love, something that you make a book, like do a, write a, write a book, make a book, um, I don't get overly promotional. Like don't, don't like force uh, things that, you know, people don't care about, but I never intended for it to be like, come to de facto. There's nothing in there that that's like shows our portfolio or anything. Like that's not at all in there, but, but we have relationships. Um, you know, like we, we got like Wyden Kennedy Nike work out of it because I got a random, uh, email saying like, Hey, our, our creative re- creatives really liked this podcast that you did. Um, you know, we have this all sound design Nike spot would you like to do it? <laughs> and I was like, yes, that's amazing. So it's like one of their lead things. And um, did they connect the dots? Like, was there something about the podcast that made them say, oh, you know, whoever produces this has the point of view or I don't know, the tonality or the voice or something that could be really interesting for this Nike thing that we have. It wasn't just, oh, these guys do audio post-production. I think that they're operating, they're operating on another plane as creatives. Like when you, Mm -hmm. when you get up to this like upper echelon, like the other thing I'll just, the nuggets I'll throw out, like one of the things I started working with Nickelodeon because of a, of a great person over there who also knew about the podcast. Um, and then, you know, now we do tons of HBO work, like the dream work, um, all the shows that are dreams to work on, we're working on those. So, so I mean that, Love that, and that's because like, not only because we, I, we did the conference room and not only because I had con- connections in that, but because like some of like some of the creators uh, like know the podcast and it, it was the extra little glue that like goes, I trust this, these, this group and, and all that mm. stuff. So these things Man, have you like, just, you just said a really big word there that I don't want to just fly by and people go, yeah, yeah, yeah. They trust, right? Like the podcast if I hear that podcast, I think, okay, these guys are clearly experts. They have a really refined and interesting point of view. And there's this inherent trust. If I listen to this show, I think, gosh, these guys are experts. They're professionals. They're clearly great at what they do. And I just think of, in a way, how qualified, to use that salesy term, but anyone that listens to your podcast that that might say, gosh, these guys could be a great fit for this Nike thing. In a way, they're coming to you very qualified because they they already know so much about you. They trust you, all that, right? Yeah. Sorry, I just had to, I just wanted to emphasize because yeah. you said the word trust back there, and I was like, that's huge. And I do throw the code word at the end of the show. Like in the show, I don't talk about myself. None of the team talks about themselves. We don't interview anything anybody that like is going to be self serving to de facto sound. I don't talk about de facto sound except for I do give it a credit. That's it. Right at the very end, it's like. 20,000 Hertz is presented by or produced out of the studios of DeFacto Sound, um, a sound design team dedicated to making television, film, and games sound incredible. To find out more, uh, go to DeFactoSound.com. So I do give that as the code word. Like if someone is actually appreciating mm-hmm. like what we've been able to craft, they have a, a, a place, a direction to go. Um, but I, ne- I don't go beyond that. It's, and it's been in every episode is that one thing. So I think people listen to it and they go, oh, I'm in, I'm in television. I'm an advertiser. Uh, you know, there's one out of, you know, 20,000 who might actually be doing that. 
Um, That might actually, it might be too big, maybe one out of a thousand who's kind of in the industry. (laughs) So there's a lot of people. Um, Once that, if your audience is a hundred thousand, that means there's a hundred people that um, might be in the industry. And that's huge. Well, here's another thing I want to just, one of the most miraculous things that I never uh, knew about, or one of the things that happened just by simply having a general pod, general audience podcast. Again, it doesn't have to be a podcast. Don't like go, oh, it's podcasting. This person did podcasting. So I'm going to do podcasting. Like think beyond that. Like, what are you passionate about? If it's Mm -hmm. animation or or two minute, that's the other thing. Like don't do feature films, like do short little things and put it on the internet where everyone is. Um, Like the, uh, I feel terrible about ranting about this, but I'm going to rant about this. Like, don't spend like three years working on one project that goes through the traditional like film festival circuit and no one's going to see it ever other than like a bunch of select uh, gatekeepers to the industry. Like, I, I just, we have the power to put things out to the world and that's what's important. I'd rather have, I'd rather have, a, you know, a, 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 a hundred thousand YouTube clicks on a thing that I made that was three minutes than to get into Sundance. And that's being perfectly honest. But, um, Man. <laughs> That's huge. I mean, you just, you gave me goosebumps right there because when you talked about don't create for the gatekeepers, yeah, I thought, wow, that's a really strong way of putting it, right? Because again, in a way you're signing up for the pick me, pick me world. Exactly. And you're, and you're, the gatekeepers want to keep their power and all that stuff. They want to make sure that they're the curators of what comes out. But like that, lo- that grip is loosening. And we got to stop being snobs about, about YouTube. Like you can't be sno- a snobby about me- uh, YouTube. Some of the best stuff that's happening is there. Sure, there's a bunch of terrible stuff, but like go make a three-minute thing about something you find interesting, whether it's a documentary or make a three-minute like, um, you know, if, it, who knows, if you're into politics or something, which I'm not into politics. But, you know, if you think you wanted to t- say something culturally that, that, that you want to say in your unique way, make a, make a two-minute thing that the world can see that, that gives your political comment- commentary in a creative way. Um, you know, with the amount of work that we give that we give for paid work, uh, there's a lot of work where we're sitting around twiddling our thumbs, just just wanting to pick me. Like, don't waste your time with that. Um, start making stuff because we were, you know, you grew you again. You didn't start drawing at five and loving it and going into all this stuff just to go pick me, pick me. Like, make your stuff that that. And don't look at the world and go, oh, they don't have that. That means that the world doesn't want it. No, everyone who like breaks through is because the world didn't have that. And and you know, you got to make the stuff. Um. Yeah. So like, uh, it's just exciting to like put something out there and then a, a response comes back. Cause one thing I do want to put the, connect the dots with just to where everyone kind of can see a full circle of like how 20,000 Hertz is kind of, def- how, how, how it is like affected de facto itself, um, as a piece of content that wasn't self-serving. Um, so one of the, the most profound way, and this, this is just very, um, uh, almost a little technical, but, but what happened was this trickle down effect. Uh, most people who find us, um, you know, Google front page of Google is the best thing you could ever be on. Cause if, if some agency executives like, Hey, find me a great graphic designer that's done stuff like this, or find me a great sound design company or whatever. Like the last place you're going to, you're not just going to go to Facebook and start searching sound design companies. You're going to go to Google like everyone does. And you're going to put in sound mm-hmm. design companies. Well, was something that amazing happened over the past two and a half years of doing this podcast is we, we get about, and the 100,000 is, is per episode, but we get about, um, our back catalog is really strong. So we get about nearly, we get like nearly 400,000 downloads, listens from the entirety of the of the, the podcast. It's a body of work now. That's another thing. Like create a body of work, not this mm-hmm. one thing and go, you're done. Like you want you want to have a legacy of, of, of work. So, you know, it's not like I'm going to make that one thing and then I peace out. It's like keep making things. So we're at 60 something episodes right now. So that now has this body of work where we get roughly, you know, 300 to 400,000 listens just throughout the, the body of that work on a monthly basis. Well, what happened with that, which was really interesting. And that's not, I mean, that sounds the, the number, I can't even say, I'm, I believe I'm saying those numbers, but that's still like kind of small in podcasts that actually make money. Um, 
it's still kind of a small thing and it's a little indie, indie podcast. Um, and it's still like kind of eeks past to actually pay for itself by not much. But those numbers trickle down to the to 20k.org where the where the website is. So we might go from like, you know, three or 400,000 down to 20,000 clicks on the website. Okay, that's that's pretty awesome. Now that, people who are just naturally interested in like, who makes this stuff? will go to DeFacto Sound. So that, one, you know, all those things might trickle down to being, you know, one, two, three thousand clicks on DeFactoSound.com. Now what happened out of this, and this is something I could have never predicted, and so many things drop from the sky like this, is just making stuff that you love and people respond to it and, and the numbers respond to it, is what happened with that trickle down effect is we went from a, a sound design company, the one of you type in sound design company, which is going to be the most common thing that people are going to type in, uh, buried on Google on page uh, 100,000 because we're just every other place that gets 30 clicks a, a month from people in the industry. Now right. we have 1,000 clicks, which is not big for uh, any website that's respectable, but, it is, but is, it, it is suddenly the most clicked upon sound design company in the entire world because of that. So, <laughs> so is, it, is it safe for me to say that your cold outreach strategy has changed as a result of the podcast? Yeah. So now, so what happened was I started getting, we have a rate request form because I ask everybody, where'd you find about, find us? And we, on the form, it's like, how did you find us? Because it's important to know that from everyone. So just before you get too excited about, oh, I got the job. Amazing. Like, remember to ask, where'd you, where did you find me? Uh, because that data will really help your focus. Um, but people started saying Google like about a year ago. And it's like, how in the world? I've never gotten a job from Google in the history. And these were not like little subtle jobs. These are like rebrands, sonic rebrands for like major companies that were falling from the sky. And um, and then come to find out they were like Google, Google, Google. And then, then after months of this like Google stuff, I went in, I was like, what is happening? So I just, I just searched sound design companies and boom, there we are. Either somewhere between uh, first place organically to like fifth, but always on the front page. And even mm. out of everything that you see on the front page, um, it's still, it's like the most highly curated experience. So like if you're naturally and you have no idea where to look and you put type in sound design companies, like it, it Google now organically funnels you to us. And it was because of the podcast that would have never happened without the numbers trickle downing from that coming down from that general audience. So, so yet another amazing strategic byproduct, which was never your original goal. No. Your goal was not, I want to be on page one Google search results. Isn't no, that funny? not at all. I mean, I would like that. Sure. And, and no one no one can reap the benefit of being that being in that place uh, until you're there. Uh, because for the longest time, I was just like, no one does Google. I never get anything from Google. Well, it's because of that. So like now I take it super seriously because put your, again, put yourself in the position of that account person who's been tasked with finding this, this, this thing, or somebody's like, God, this has to be really good sound design. Or like, we got to have a graphic designer who does this sort of thing or a really like sharp, uh, creative editor, like <laughs> search those, search those in Google. And I, at this point would pay for AdWords personally. Um, because it's been so powerful to just be the first person there when somebody does that. Because it's so daunting to then try to like learn the industry. These people who are, you know, might be first or second year in their job and they're like, hey, go find this great thing for me. And then um, then looking like, you know, when you sell that to the rest of the team, everything needs to be polished. Again, all about the work. That work needs to be there because because the work, it is about the work once you actually get in front of the right people with when a million other pieces have come to place to, in place to like for the stars to align for you to like orbit in front of these people. The work there has to you be go. done. <laughs> you there know? you go. That's exactly, I think that's also worth uh, just dignifying with, yes, of course. But it's like once you have a, 
a great name. You've, you know what your genius is. You're well positioned. You've started a conversation. Now we're talking, starting to talk about how we're going to solve your problems. Well, of course, the work becomes incredibly important at that point. It is all about the work at that point. Yeah. I mean, I would, uh, yeah, exactly. I would also argue one, one point that's just kind of a little, being well positioned uh, and, and being well positioned and highly focused. Um, I don't want that. I wouldn't want that to be confused with not doing the type of work that you love. Um, you know, if you just love drawing and making things and, and, you know, doing like a book or, or, you know, something that uh, like, I'll give an example. Um, a pl- I mean, it can be a plug. I'll give you exactly like who's doing this in the graphic design industry. Um, I have dear friends over at uh, Identity Visuals in, in Nashville, and they are just incredible people and I've known them for a long time. Um, they make their own original content like crazy. Um, a lot of times, like I can't really, like they were, we work together. Sometimes I'll contract them for some podcast stuff. And I know people in the industry that will contact them. And sometimes they'll say no, because they have their own thing that they're making. Like right now they're making a game, like a, like a multi, uh, like a tabletop game because they're brilliant designers. And so they've, they've create, created the entire mechanics, but now they're doing just brilliant designs and, and illustrations on these cards. Before that, they did a, an iPhone game that is just gorgeous. Um, I know that they've done other things that I'm blanking on, but like it's a perfect example of a studio that's like going up into the next echelon of of work because they're just making stuff that they're interested in and they're attracting all these different industries. And that's kind of what happened in de facto too. It's like focus your positioning, like get that very in line to where people know like what you do great. But if there's things that like you're really into, like you just love doing and because you're just a geek about X, like do that thing too, because it's going to be really um, uh, creatively fulfilling for you. And people will most likely respond to it if it's, if it's really authentic and you're not basically putting a pro, like an ad for yourself through, right. through your work, you know? Well, I'm seeing these guys uh, being based in Nashville, but like you said, I see Netflix work. I see Sierra Club. I see Bad Robot. I'm like, yeah, what? They're huge. Yeah, they're doing J.J. Yeah. Abrams like openings and stuff. And it was and it was like because when somebody goes there, they go, oh, this work is gorgeous. But what? They made a they did this and it's their own thing and they did this and it's their own thing. And I think that's what happened with DeFacto, too, is like people are going, OK, here we go again. Audio post-production, you know, kind of a world that I'm not that interested in. And you go over there and you go, oh, I, me as someone who am not into this world, I'm interested because it's like this other thing. That's worldly in a way. And that's right. kind of what identity is doing. And, uh, and I love seeing that. And, I, and the thing is, it's just like, I will say this to everybody, like the power of making your own stuff is like unimaginable. Like when you make your thing and you own it, like that is unimaginable power. And in, in this, when you're, especially when you're in the pick me, pick me, pick me thing, uh, it turns the entire universe around, especially if you see some success with that. But the thing is, is I just don't think you'll see success if it's self-serving and promotional. You have to make something you love and it also help you with see the world in a different way. Like, you mean I can talk about, I don't know, bicycles that I, because I, I love bicycles and I want to tell people how amazing bicycles are in a, in a little animated thing. And when you see all the other people come to that and go, I love bicycles too. Like it just goes, oh, there's such a bigger world outside of this like echo chamber of like depression that people aren't picking me. And so it just, it gets you out into humanity. It like makes you like see the world for what it is while you still have you know, your core business, because I love, you know, we, I love sound design. I love doing these things. I love doing promos, trailers, all that stuff. But then I also love kind of like speaking myself and making things for myself. Do you know the famous quote from Howard Thurman by any chance? Because people always say, oh, uh, you know, there's not a, a whatever kind of widget out there in the world. I should go make that. And I always tell creatives, especially don't do that. The quote reads like this. Don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go do that because Absolutely. what the world yeah. needs is people 
who have come alive. And that's what I'm hearing in you is talking about bicycles <laughs> in a funny way makes you come alive. And you know what? People love talking and engaging and interacting with people who are passionate and excited about their thing and that this stuff and these topics and these ideas. And it's just infectious. Yeah. It's like uh, the Conan O'Brien quote when he lost like the tonight show, like the last thing he talked about was just like, don't be a cynic. Like, don't let that get you because, and I think this industry, when you're, when you're just being beat down and beat down and like, you're not making your thing and you're not like enjoying life. I mean, even outside of making your own thing, if you're not, you know, making yourself healthy and having healthy relationships and being a good, you know, whatever spouse and uh, husband or father or, or whatever, like there's so many things that like you need to be healthy and to see the rest of the world, but it's just really like depressing. And I've been through the worst of depression. Uh, my wife and I were talking about this yesterday, two years ago, I was in the, in the worst uh, place in like, in, in everything strategically decided not to work with a spe specific client, amazing people, but it just wasn't, wasn't quite working. So it was a massive loss in revenue. Uh, just started the podcast, no ad, no advertisements on it, but was, but was bleeding money right out of my personal pocket to try to make this thing work because everyone mm. on 20,000 Hertz is paid except for me because I did not want to ask anyone to do this as a favor because like it's all, it's it's the story I want to tell and I want to pay everyone. So everyone who's ever touched 20,000 Hertz minus me, I've, got, I've, I've made a few bucks, but like nothing that's like I'm putting food on my table with, but like everyone else has made a respectable wage. I'm really proud of that. Um, but, but I was bleeding money, lost a very, uh, strategic partner, uh, in the, in the de facto side, um, had a, had, you know, uh, expensive, uh, circumstances and space and all this stuff and, and a big staff. I was in my worst part. And, uh, now two years later, like all the adjustments, the podcast, the business, like the positioning, like making things that I love, you know, having children. I, I love my kids trying to be a better dad and trying to get healthy and all that stuff like that transformed me in two years. Like now I'm in like the best place I've ever been. Not to saying that there's gonna be bumps and bumps along the way. I know that, but, but yeah, just being, I don't know, just like there's more to the world in the, in the industry, make stuff for yourself, make fun things. And then the world should respond. I mean, there's a lot of noise out there, but if you make something that you love, well, there's a good chance that other people love it too. So that's a great segue for us to maybe start wrapping up with this question. What's, what's next? Like, what are you, what are you looking head towards and saying, I can't wait to this, or I'm excited about where this is going to go. What's coming? You know, the thing that I'm really, really happy about is I feel I have found my path. It takes a long time. You know, when you're in your twenties, especially early twenties, you're just all over the place, like trying to figure out where do I fit? You know, what do I have to say to the world? All that stuff. Late twenties, you're doing all these jobs, uh, a bunch of cool jobs. You know, you might start a business that early, you might not. Uh, but you're still bouncing around finding that thing. Um, th early 30s, all that stuff kind of, you know, I was fortunate to start a business very young. Um, so 10 years ago, I was 29. So uh, I hadn't even hit 30 and I started the business. So I had a little bit of time. Um, not saying if I would have done this 10 years later, it wouldn't turn out the same way. But um, fortunately for me, like, and this is something that a lot of people can't say, um, and, I, and I can recognize this, is I feel I have found what my mission is in life. Personally is a different story. I mean, personally is a different story. I know I want to be a great dad, great husband, great father to my girls. That's, I mean, that's going to be first and foremost. That's what makes me happy. Like the things, uh, one just little nugget to throw out, people may have heard this before, but it's something that's been powerful in my life is like do more of the things that make you put your, make you forget about your phone. And when I'm out playing hide and seek with my daughters or at the park or like, you know, doing some major experience around a travel or, or not even travel, but just running around. Like I don't think about my phone and that makes me happy. I don't think about where, where is this email or this, is this person mad, blah, blah, blah. But beyond that, I've, you know, through these kind of things back, back to the business, like I found my calling. I have the best team at a, at a company that I've ever had. 
uh, kind people, highly curated people. Everyone on my team has beat out a thousand other people to sit there. Um, so even even the, the how 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 far I go and the links I go and the and the distance that I go to like fi- like hopefully find the right person is in in cases a thousand times further than a lot of other companies because someone might walk in the door and they go you need an intern oh sure come over here but like I don't do that anymore like I search the world for the best because because that's how you get great work especially when you're starting to bring people on like uh, I, my first hire was a was my best friend. Uh, I think everyone can guess that is not my best friend anymore, dear person, but we don't talk. (laughs) It's just, that's the way that that life is. Um, But I found my calling. Like I know what my focus is in my career now, which is amazing. I want to um, care for my team and I want to provide them the best work that just makes them creatively fulfilled. I want them to be out the door at six o'clock, max. (laughs) I want them to be like, I want them to have a life. I want them to have nights and weekends. I want them to have families and and enjoyment and time and all that stuff. Clearly off the clock. We don't send emails after hours. We don't do any of that. Like we schedule everything for daytime hours. Um, Not to say that there's emergencies, but personally with the podcast and my own personal brand, which we all kind of have to have a personal brand. Joel actually... um, is someone who's talked a lot about this. And that's something that I actually need to explore more is really boosting my own personal name because my personal career, um, you know, not personal family, but like personal career, 20,000 Hertz, Dallas Taylor, is that I feel like I have, I am very, um, I don't know, called to tell people the amazing stories behind hearing. Sound is unbelievably rare and we have it right here. Our ears connect us to the earth in a, in a natural way. Uh, if you go up, sound goes away almost infinitely. And so we have this very special sense that people don't think about. And my calling for the rest of my career will be to tell people how amazing sound is. And and in so many different ways, outside of movies, outside of the industry, all this stuff, psychologically, all these things. And that's what 20,000 Hertz has been, is this journey through all these different places that that involve your ear. And that's what I'm going to do. Like uh, next, next, I mean, I think that I, one thing that I've said, I'd love to write a book. It is just a daunting task to do it. Um, Believe me, I can relate. And who, like, write a book about sound sounds really weird to me, too. But I think that might go into some places that the podcast can't get. Hmm. Uh, I want to make better and better stories. Every story that we do is more and more intense. I mean, I cringe hearing the first stories. A lot of people love those first handful. But if you want to go check out 20,000 Hertz, start with, like, the, the last one and then move your way back. Uh, because the hmm. best stories, in my opinion, are the ones that, the, the newest ones. Things are gelling in a lot, a lot of ways. I love the early stories. But, like, just let yourself dwindle to that point. So keep telling great stories. And then my personal brand is I just want to uh, continue to, to talk. I mean, I do a little bit more public speaking on hearing and sound and, and uh, wonderment in that. I want to keep doing that on a grander scale. I want when people think, um, you know, we need a sound expert. Who do we call? Like, I want to be the person that people go, oh, Dallas talks about this all the time. Like, put him on here. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of like my mission. And again, that, I'm so fortunate with that, but I will say like, if you take it, if you extract anything out of this, if you're a writer, go write, don't write for some, I mean, write for someone else for money, do all that stuff, do, do the thing that you do great. But like, you did not start writing because you just wanted to do like, I mean, I love again, promo people. I love you work with us. I want more de facto sound work. I'm not a rich guy again, but if you're a writer, go write, write stuff that you love writing. If you want to write a sci-fi thriller short story, go do it because that's awesome. Um, if you're a graphic designer, go make stuff, like tell a commentary about something that, that's important to you. That's not just like, give me work, please. Um, I mean, you see, I, com- I see companies all the time just sending work straight, you know, those, those emails, those direct emails. I do it too. I have newsletters that, that yeah, are self-serving. You need to see my reel. Of course you need to see my reel. But, um, but when you're like, everything is encompassed and just like, please send me work. Um, I see some really creative people that are, that are misusing that, that gift 
by, um, by pointing it all internally when they could just point it out to the world and do so much more with it. So yeah, that's, that's, that's my advice in that. Well, man, I, I so appreciate your, your story, right. in your journey. Cause I'm thinking of when you and I met years ago and just everything you've, you've been through over these past few years and to hear how the last two years have been and that you're on this, you're finding your calling, right. And turning this really interesting corner. Uh, I'm just so excited, but I mostly appreciate your generosity, right? Uh, your, b- before your you go on, I'm, I'm going to point my microphone at my desk and I'm going to knock on this wood. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Yeah, please. Exactly. Let's both, I really like where I'm at right now. Please. I hope that it's going to still go. We have the best collaborators ever. I mean, working on the biggest stuff, the kindest, uh, creatives. I mean, one thing like, uh, recently working with HBO and they're just so kind and like, they just do great work. Like the people and even like the white and Kennedy, like when you're on like the, this upper echelon, it's just kind, nice people because mm-hmm. people don't have time for that, that stuff. So like, anyway, that's a different, different tangent. But it's, it's, yeah, but things have really come together uh, lately in, in really fun ways with really great people too. Well, thanks for sharing all of that because I think your, your story and your evolution, this how you're, you're leveraging and converting and even building a, a different asset uh, from de facto and expanding into 20,000 hertz. It, it's, it's exciting. And I think it's a lesson. It's a, it's a story that your fellow, your peers, your fellow creative entrepreneurs, and even just creatives in general in the industry are going to appreciate hearing. So thank you for sharing it. You're welcome. And don't do what I do. Do your own thing. That's right. So speaking of what you do, how do people find you? So, um, you know what? I'm not even, uh, I will plug de facto sound, but in a secondary way. Uh, if you're listening to this right now, you must, you must like podcasts in some way because you're listening to this. I would say like, number one, like, you know, if you don't need sound or whatever, like, you know, if you need sound like right now, of course, go to defactosound.com. We have a contact form. You can write me directly, dallas at defactosound.com. Our producer is Samantha, Samantha at defactosound.com. Of course, if you want to like have a, a creative sound design partner, we want to hear from you immediately. But if you don't, just go check out the podcast. And that's just 20,000 hertz all spelled out, no numbers. Um, you'll find it uh, pretty quickly. It's a purple um, Purple, it's actually similar colors to the, to the de facto in a very uh, roundabout way. <laughs> Again, that holistic look. Um, but, is there a URL? Just, is there a website you want to point people to as well for the podcast? You know, honestly, like you can go to 20k.org, but really the most powerful thing in podcasting is just to go to Apple Podcasts if you have an iPhone or whatever your podcast player is and just go tick subscribe. There's nothing more powerful. When you go to a website, it's kind of like that one-off and it's just not a proper place to listen to a podcast. Right. Uh, so yes. the better thing is just to go to your phone. Like we are on your phone. And when you go out and do something in your board, if there's a, if there's a particular, if you're scrolling around and there's a particular story that sounds like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. I know that sound. Click it and play it. Uh, otherwise, just listen to the latest one. And the thing about it is the other thing is like, I try to guarantee that like, even if it sounds like something you're not going to be interested in, there's been 150 to 200 plus hours put into that topic to make you interested in it. So I think the most fun shows are the ones that you're like, I am not going to be interested in the dial tone sounds of a phone, but then it turns <laughs> into like this reveal of, how, of just the wonder of the world that, that kind of puts you in a new place. The show is hundred percent clean. You can listen to your, listen with your kids. You can recommend it. I, there's nothing off color or whatever, because that just gets in the way of sound. And uh, I don't want that to cloud it. Well, what's nice is I can, as a fellow listener and fan of the show, I can recommend it because I listen to it and I think it's freaking awesome. It's just great content. And, oh, thank uh, you. Yeah. So, you know, kudos. It's, it's just great stuff. And I'm a, I'm a fellow podcast listener. And so if you're a podcast listener, which like you said, everyone listening should be, they need to go subscribe and check it out. Cause it's yes. great. 
And then anything else. And if you never work with DeFacto Sound, totally fine. Enjoy the podcast. Uh, maybe maybe go do go support a sponsor or something. But beyond that, um, just enjoy it because because again, it's not self serving. It's about it's. I want you personally to love your sense of hearing more. Well, thanks again, Dallas. Really great having you on the podcast today. Thanks for sharing your story and all the good things that are going on. Well, thank you. You've been listening to the Rev Thinking Podcast. For more information on upcoming accelerators, events, or to learn how RevThink advises creative entrepreneurs like you, connect with us at RevThink.com. 